On today's episode, I'm interviewing my friend and trusted legal mentor, Kristen Roberts of Trestle Law. She's sharing her thoughts on how you can protect your business from the very beginning, when to determine if you need to consult with a lawyer, and what is and isn't okay when it comes to sharing digital content. And we're back with another episode of the Fed and Fit Podcast. I am so excited about today's interview. We are talking to one of the most lovely, vivacious, wonderful, smartest gals I know. <laughs> Her name oh my is- gosh, I have so much to live up to. <laughs> <laughs> Her name is Kristen Roberts. She is the founder and managing attorney of Trestle Law. Trestle Law focuses on intellectual property, business and employment services for socially conscious and socially responsible businesses. She is a friend of mine and also my attorney. I'm so excited to say. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me, Cassie. I'm really excited to be here. It's it's going to be a lot of fun today. I know. We're going to have we're going to have a good time. We've got some good questions lined up. Kristen has a wealth of information. I I don't know how much I've talked to her on so many things over the I guess we've known each other about a year now, haven't we? Yeah, I feel like um I feel like we really got to know each other at Last Paleo FX, right? We did. That's right. We had great conversations there. Um and she's just giving me really really solid advice over the years. She works with a number of my colleagues in the industry, a lot of other bloggers. Um and then of course, but her business expands much past that if you're if you're a business owner um looking for help in the in the law sector, I I highly recommend her. I trust her and she does amazing work. So anyways, I'm excited to have her on the show today. We're going to talk about, really we're going to zoom in on, you know, what to do to protect your business from the beginning, when do you need a lawyer, and then also talk about sharing information in the digital age, kind of as a mini PSA. Um, in this blogging world, so much information is online. When is it okay to share someone else's information? When is it not okay? And then what you can do to not only protect yourself, but what do you do if your content is borrowed? So I just think those are good grounds to cover. But before we get into all of that, I would love to pass the baton over to Kristen. Tell us a little bit about more about yourself, uh, more about your business, and maybe what are some of your favorite parts of your job? Um, well, sure. I, I don't mind telling you about my job. You know, lawyering is, um, I would say it's a lot more just client management and really, you know, setting client expectations appropriately and kind of just, you know, doing the right thing and being a good person. Um, because so much of it is relationship development. And, and that I think is probably just to start at what my favorite part is. I would say that's probably my favorite part of owning my own law firm is I get to work with the people that I want to work with and that I respect and that I like. Uh, and that, you know, that are really kind of putting a great message out into the world and I can kind of help elevate and support that message. So that's, that's my favorite part of my job. My background is, um, I worked for a small law firm before going out and starting my own law practice. I was there for a little over three years, I want to say. And they, you know, they taught me because they were a small law firm, I was sort of put in charge of everything from my whole caseload to my invoicing to client communications to signing them up to, you know, fee agreements and everything. So I would 
say that my last law firm was really, um, I think, beneficial in terms of learning the ins and outs of running a business because they really expected us to sort of take personal ownership and responsibility for the work that they were giving to us at the firm. So I left my firm and I, you know, I was asking my husband, I said, you know, what should I do next? And he kind of was like, I think you should start your own law firm. And I kind of looked at him like, you're crazy. I don't want to do that. That sounds like way too much work. And he just was really insistent. He goes, I really think you can do it. You know, you are good at meeting people and, you know, people like you. So I think you should, you should go for it. And he actually loaned me the money to start my business. And, um, it kind of just took off from there. And actually my first client was, um, a blogger in the paleo community, um, Steph Gaudreau. And she was actually the one that was like, man, you would be really helpful in, in the paleo world and kind of really helped me develop my client base for the most part. Um, really just, you know, I helped her with one small issue and it just kind of took off from there. And, um, you know, so I, I really credit her on me getting into this space in particular. Um, but yeah, my background is general legal work. I was, you know, doing everything. I was a general civil litigator. So I was in the courtroom a lot and I, the courtroom is, is fun, but it's really crowded. It's really backed up, especially in California. And it's sort of like untangling the yarn ball when it's already a mess. And I kind of wanted to help prevent the mess. So I'm um, mostly doing transactional work. I still do some litigation. I take about um, two to three cases a year at most, and they're usually good cases. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I like to pick the good cases as opposed to the ones that just kind of get dumped on me. From When you're at a firm, you don't really have a say. Um, so I really like having that that kind of say over the cases that I take. And, you know, because it is a lot of pressure and the timetables are, uh, you know, you don't really get to dictate to the court when you're going to have a hearing date. So because of that sort of structure, I, I only take a few cases a year, but um, I do have that background in litigation. So I do know how to handle myself if if things ever hit the fan in the wrong way. So that's kind of how I got started and how I started my practice and what I love most. And I mean, I mean, you know, as a business owner, you can't really be the flexibility either of working for yourself. I mean, I full disclosure, I'm sitting here in my sweatpants and oversized <laughs> t-shirt talking to you. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. I'm sitting, I, I think if you can hear beeping in the background, it's because my laundry is <laughs> beeping. <laughs> So there is awesome flexibility, awesome responsibility. We're working all day long, but um, it is, it's a good, it's a treat. That's interesting. You know what, hearing about your perspective on being in the courtroom and wanting to prevent the tangled mess from ever getting there, um, really in a lot of ways mirrors why I chose nutrition. Because, yeah, because I was working in the medical field. I was on my way to medical school and I got to, I was working for a primary care physician. I was her uh, medical assistant between college and med school and did her phlebotomy program and helped her with front office stuff. And I really, I learned a lot from the experience, but what I, my biggest takeaway was I wanted to help people. I wanted to help keep people from even having to get to that point. And in that experience, I learned that nutrition, educating on nutrition could change lives drastically and, and, and help people avoid even the intense medication conversation. So, um, that's pretty interesting. It's funny how, uh, we have very different professions, but in, in that matter, we're birds of a feather. 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I would even go further and say that a lot of the law, yeah, of course, I'm providing, you know, legal work, I'm providing legal contracts and trademarks and, and things like that to help protect business owners. But a lot of what I'm doing is business counseling, right? Mm -hmm. So when somebody hires somebody, I'm asking them questions like, well, do you have this protection in place for in this agreement? Are you looking out for whether or not they're really an independent contractor or an employee? Are you towing that line too closely? Are you so you know it it points out you know I ask them questions uh, to really get them thinking as opposed to oh I got that agreement from Rocket Lawyer well sure or, or you know or Legal Zoom or wherever or wherever the case or Google mm -hmm. um, you know and and oftentimes those documents they can work but you don't necessarily know what you're getting because you're not having that sort of conversation with somebody who kind of understands the landscape absolutely that's that's interesting you know and and you do you do provide amazing consult <laughs> even though and you can tell that it's just a passion of yours um and i think that's that's really really wonderful i'm blessed because i have a husband who's you know very familiar with with a lot of the business practices and so i tend to <laughs> lean on him a lot but um having somebody with your particular expertise is just absolutely you can't put a price on it um Anyways, okay, awesome. Well, I would love to, and you are, you're kind of in the paleo sphere to begin with, CrossFit and e following a grain-free lifestyle, correct? Yeah, that's actually how I got into the industry. I mean, I, I'm really passionate about it. I um, started with, you know, a 30-day challenge like everybody else and, mm -hmm. um, you know, like a lot of other people. And I saw just amazing results and I, and then I started CrossFitting more heavily. I, I actually met Steph, you know, my first client I was telling you about, and she's pretty well known. So, mm -hmm. um, and she always is the one, she always says, tell everybody that you worked with me. <laughs> so it's, I'm allowed to disclose that it's fine. Um, but she, you know, she was actually, I met her, she was my judge in my first CrossFit competition here in San Diego. Oh, and fun. yeah, so that was actually how I, I, I met her in person. And then we sort of became Facebook friends after that and sort of develop, it developed from there. And now, you know, she's one of my closest friends and that's kind of how it always works with people in this industry because, you know, you know, you work in it. It's a small industry. It's a small community. Everybody kind of knows everybody. Everyone knows what everyone has going on. And so it's funny because I kind of, I sort of, I kind of cross all um, demographics in that industry, you know, whether you're the foods, you know, product provider or a blogger or a, you know, photographer or whatever, I've represented all of them. And I kind of know how the um, inner workings of the industry go. So, and, it, and it's great because I'm really passionate about it. I'm really passionate about, um, you know, food as medicine and functional movement and, and all of that stuff. So it kind of just seemed natural for my business to go that way. Absolutely. Definitely, definitely a natural fit. And it helps if you can not only talk about, you, you can speak to the content kind of helps, I think, me as a business owner makes me feel more comfortable. Like, you know what I'm in, you know, what kind of industry I'm in um, and where I'm headed. So that's great. And it is true. This community is very small, which I think we'll touch on in a little bit. Um, but it really is small. Steph Godreau, you know, it's we, are, we really are all friends with each other. She sends me texts pretty regularly with screenshots of things that she thinks I need to know about. So it's, it's a really fun community to be a part of. Everybody looks out for each other. Um, and she's, she's especially a gem. If you don't know who Skidef is, she's stupideasypaleo.com. You should definitely look her up. Oh, yeah, that's right. I, I just assume everyone knows her. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and she's actually been on the show before, but it was towards the beginning. So if you are a newer listener, you should scroll back through the archives and get to know Steph a little bit better. Um, okay, awesome. Well, I would love to jump into some some of these questions I have for you. So first question, whether you are, and this is this can apply to anybody, whether you are getting ready to start a business, maybe you have started a blog or a business, doesn't have to be a blog, um, or you maybe you're a few years into it. What are the things, because I think your answer is going to apply to all of these people. What are the things you think someone needs to do to protect their business from the get-go? Well, I kind of would say that the the first bit of advice that I always give people because it was the piece of advice that was given to me and I always kind of look at it from my own perspective because I'm a small business owner first and foremost. Yeah, yes, I'm a lawyer and I provide services to other people, but I'm a small business owner. That's what I do and one of the biggest pieces of advice that one of my mentors gave me and oddly enough it was my old boss at my last law firm and we're actually still really close. Um, he actually just called me while we were, while we were talking. Um, but, uh, what he told me was, he said, act as if your business is going to succeed from the beginning. He, he, cause I was asking him, you know, should I incorporate now? I know a lot of attorneys, um, kind of play fast and loose with incorporating. Some of them start as sole proprietorships. And I, and I was kind of like, well, maybe I should do that because it doesn't really make sense to pay the incorporation fee and the um, franchise tax board payments. You know, I don't know if I'm going to make that money. You know, it's $800 a year. And he looked at me and he goes, if you can't afford $800 a year, then what the heck are you doing in business? Mm -hmm. You know? And he said, so why not just set yourself up for success from the beginning? And that piece of advice kind of has played throughout my business when it comes to, um, implementing a new marketing strategy or rolling out a new website design, why not invest the money from the get-go? And yes, it might be a little bit more upfront, but that's why you budget for those things. So for me, I sat down with my husband and rewrote out a plan. We said, okay, what are the things that I absolutely need? And one of those things I'll tell you right now was a um, law practice management software. And for those who don't know, it's kind of like a sort of like an Asana or a, um, you know, base camp mm-hmm. program, but f- geared specifically towards lawyers. And I said, oh, I absolutely need that. And I wound up really not needing it at all. So you learn really quickly what you don't need, but I still budgeted for it. So I wound up having a little bit of extra money in my budget because I wound up not actually needing it at the end of the day. So I would say to protect your business, start by treating it as a business. Cause I know a lot of bloggers, they start out just starting a blog. But if it's your intent to really run it as a business, treat it like a And don't wish you could go back in time and change things um, that you could have budgeted for in the beginning. I think that's great advice. You cut out there for a second, but I think we got it all. Um, that is priceless advice. When I started Fed and Fit, the very next, and I mean, granted, I'm surrounded by business owners, so similar, I had really great mentors. Um, but back in 2011, when I decided to finally start Fed and Fit, I bought my URL, and then I went and registered my LLC. And it was just, it just made sense for me to do at the time. And that was the advice I got, even though I didn't know what was what. <laughs> and I still don't think I do understand everything exactly. But, you know, um, treating it like a business from the get-go, I think, is really, really important. And something that, I mean, I'm a little, I'm a little late to the game beyond that, beyond just registering my business. Um, I 
in working with you, for example, I have these big programs coming up and it wasn't until, you know, I really was going to have more, I guess, interaction in my online programs and on my website that I realized I needed to protect myself. And it's almost a little bit of a catch up, playing, mm-hmm. playing catch up, um, getting ahead of the game with the project, for example, the project, which will the first, first group starts in September. Uh, but there are certain, certain things that we need to set into place um, in advance of that. And it can be a little intimidating, just like you said, it's a it's more upfront cost when you probably don't have income. Um, but you really are protecting yourself. It's kind of like, patching the ship before you set sail just to make sure you're going to be in really good shape. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, I would also say that it, a lot of people, um, do the sort of ostrich where they kind of would rather bury their heads in the sand and hope that the problems don't ever become problems rather than even attempting to reach out and talk to somebody like an attorney or an accountant. Mm. I'll tell you right now that the first person that I hired when I started my business was an accountant. And I've actually worked with lawyers before um, in my business because I, you know, one of my kind of things is I, I try to avoid doing a large majority of my own legal work. Some of it I do by myself, um, like things that I'm really comfortable with, like trademarks and stuff like that. But if I were to ever do, um, I was contemplating entering into a partnership with another attorney and we were we were going to hire an attorney to do those documents. We're not going to do them ourselves. That right. just, it just doesn't make sense. So I have to hire professionals too. Mm-hmm. And they are expensive. My accountant is not cheap, but she is amazing. And she, you know, prevents me from making mistakes that I would have made. I would have made mistakes if I hadn't had a really good um, team of people. And, you know, you think, I would just put it this way, you you can spend upwards of $5,000 really easily on a website. So why would you turn your nose up at spending something similar for a professional who can prevent you from getting into legal problems? Mm -hmm. I think that's priceless advice. And I've seen, you know, just in my own personal life, friends and family who have entered into um, legal troubles. And and at the end of the day, it wound up costing them way more. Um, So in not only in hassle, but in expense, of course. Absolutely. It's 100% more expensive to unwind the ball of string like I was talking about. And that was also part of the reason I wanted to step away from litigation um, as much as possible because I was getting these clients who felt like they had no choice, right? So they're like, we need a lawyer. We have to pay for you. And that creates tension because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you're, you're constantly worrying about how much you're feeding this attorney. And unfortunately, with litigation, it is such an unknown set of variables that you can't fix fees. It's so hard to say, okay, well, for I can do this for this price. I can set reasonable, you know, limits and expectations, but oftentimes you're at the you're at the mercy of the other side and what they're doing to you. Mm-hmm. And litigation often comes down to who has the most money. And that's really uh it's just not as much fun for me because it I want to give my clients results. I want to be able to say this is what I can do for you as opposed to, well, I rode you to the middle of the lake. Here's the paddle. Good luck getting yourself the rest of the way there because you can't pay me anymore. I mean, that's, yeah, 
that's, that was the part of the job that I, I didn't like. And that was part of the reason I was like, I really, I think I really want to stick to transactional work as much as I can. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen how a lot of these clauses and contracts function, especially in a court in courts of law. So I can, I'm a little bit better suited to, um, draft them in a way that are a little bit more protective than they would be if, you know, if you were using somebody who didn't have that experience. Now, I'm not saying that, obviously, I'm not the best attorney in the world. I, I'm not saying that by any means, um, you know, but it's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. It makes perfect sense. And I also think that setting, working with a professional like yourself not only shows respect for that profession, but you're showing respect for yourself and in taking your business seriously and also anybody that you're going to be working with. I think it shows a tremendous amount of respect. So some of my partners and colleagues through, you know, in my business, I want to make sure that they know how seriously I'm taking this relationship. And I've, I've worked with, I've consulted a professional to help us, you know, both protect ourselves. And so I just think, I think it's a really smart thing to do. And it shows a very well-rounded, level-headed approach to business. So this kind of bleeds into my next question a little bit because you've pretty much answered it. Um, but the question of when do you need a lawyer, I mean, really the answer is, and, and feel free to correct me or rephrase um, what I'm about to say, but, you know, you should, it's a good idea to seek advice from the very beginning. Yeah, and I think what a lot of people don't realize is that, you know, I, I get asked a lot of questions like, um, you know, I just had somebody reach out to me on Instagram in a private message and I'm very available to people because mm -hmm. I, I really think that as much as I can be generous with my time, I am. And, you know, obviously that's, it's difficult to do when I, when you, you have to sort of balance your, um, your time that you're giving away with the time that, you know, you're charging for, because after a while, you know, you sell your time for a living and that's, that's sort of in and of itself a hard thing to do because you only have so much, it's a finite amount of it. But to the extent that I can be generous with my time, I try to be because I, you never know when that person is going to come back with a multi-million dollar product that they developed because, and they come to you because you were, um, you know, generous with that five minutes that you gave them and didn't charge them for it. And so to that end, I always say interview early and interview a lot. I might not be the right fit for you. And I always tell clients that no is okay. Mm -hmm. If I'm not the right fit for you and you just don't feel that jive with me, don't hire me because it doesn't make sense to work with somebody you don't trust and you don't like. Why would you pay me money? if You'll just feel resentful paying me money if you don't like me and you don't feel like you can trust me. You're better off going to somebody else. And a lot of people don't realize that attorneys – a lot of us give no charge consultations. Mm -hmm. And I always say that to people. I say I offer a no charge consultation. Um, it's to see if we're the right fit for each other. And if we are the right fit for each other, we can talk about how to move forward. Um, and a lot of attorneys offer that service. And so I highly recommend interviewing somebody, you know, early on in your business when you're starting out, make a lot of calls. Call a lot of attorneys and see if they offer a no charge consultation. And if they don't, ask why not. Um, because at the end of the day, they want your business, right? So you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you. Brilliant. That's great advice. I think that's awesome advice. Um, okay. Next question. Now this kind of goes, this is kind of a, something that we've talked about a little bit already before on a separate call. 
Um, but I kind of want to cover or review with you being the expert and me being <laughs> the fumbling client <laughs> with just oh. with just some some road experience, you know. Um, you know, I really want to talk about sharing the culture of sharing content nowadays because this is an unprecedented amount of information that people are putting out there. You know, we're as just as you're kind of in the business of free consultations, you know, mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of your business, the nature of a food blog or any blog in that matter is giving away content. That's what we okay. do. We put all of our content out there for free and with the hopes that of course we're making a difference. But if we want to turn that into a business, then we listen to what people love and we expand on the pieces that really resonated with our audience and we turn those into a product, which is exactly what I did. It took me five years because I was a little bit of a slow learner and that's where the book and the project came from. But I have almost 300 recipes on my website and that are totally free and anybody can log on and look at them, but they're mine. And even though they're free to use and anybody can look them up and cook from them, that doesn't actually mean that I that they're free to republish by somebody else. So what I kind of want to talk about is what is okay when it comes to sharing content because there are some rules where you can, you know, adapt a recipe from somebody else. I'm going to stick to recipes so we have at least one example um, without getting too fuzzy in other markets. But, you know, what is okay when it comes to sharing, what's not okay, and then what you can do if your content is borrowed, what your advice is to somebody. So what start with what's okay. What do you think is okay in terms of content sharing in your experience? So what is okay in terms of content sharing is if, for example, somebody has, say I really like a recipe of yours, like your um, massaged kale salad, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just say I really like that and I want to share it on my blog or on something, you know, of my own. Um, The best way to go about doing that is explaining that I really liked Cassie's from Fed and Fit's massaged kale salad, which can be found here. And then you hyperlink it or you link it to where you can actually find that recipe. So that's that's the best way of doing things is if you're actually doing something um, and you're taking a picture of a salad yourself that you made, and that you want people to know where you got the recipe from, um, you link it in the article and not you don't take the actual entirety of that blog post on your site, cop- copy and paste it, and then put it into your site. That's what's not okay. Mm-hmm. So attribution is the, is the key, um, but also not lifting content and just redisplaying it because what happens when you copy and paste is you don't get those click, you don't get those click, those links through to the original site. So people, people, what they'll do, what I see a lot of people doing is they'll copy and paste the full recipe with all of the directions and everything. And then they'll say can also be found here and then they'll link it. Well, no one's going to click through to the actual page to look for the recipe if you've already got it on your website. Mm -hmm. So that's really what um, I see the most of. I would say that's sort of the way that people um, sort of overstep the most is in that way. They think that they're, you know, attributing by saying, well, this is, I I gave you credit. I put your link there. Well, yeah, you put my link there, but you also lifted the content a hundred percent and copied and pasted it onto your website, essentially guaranteeing that they're not going to click through to my site. 
Right, exactly. And the reason, I mean, and, and just so you guys know, as a business, as a, as, a, as a business owner who has a food blog, there is a certain amount of revenue that comes through in advertising and views, um, page views. And that's really kind of how I, how I make my ends meet. Um, and so having that content redisplayed on another website essentially undercuts the, heart, the work that was put into a recipe. So it's free, but the idea is we really do want to help cultivate traffic. And I really, I mean, just so you guys know, this is not meant to make anybody feel bad if you're listening and you're thinking, oh my gosh, I've done that. <laughs> don't, don't beat yourself up about it. I don't, I, th- I really do believe Kristen that people just don't know. And Absolutely. you know, they just don't, they, they mean well, they don't mean to do anything wrong. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation because, you know, it's okay. I just think that it's now my job to kind of help spread the word on what is and isn't okay. And, and don't beat yourself up and you're not a bad person if you've made some of these mistakes. It's just an easy thing to go through. And, um, you know, you can just update your blog post. It's not a big deal. Some bloggers also don't actually want you using their photos. I've seen that before. I actually don't have a problem with that. For example, BuzzFeed is a good example. Um, BuzzFeed does a great job. BuzzFeed is a huge website, right? They get a lot of traffic and they do an awesome job of always reaching out to me and asking for my permission to use a photo. Just a photo. You know, they're not asking to repost the recipe. They don't even, they don't repost the ingredients. They just put a photo up and they say, go find this breakfast salad over on fedandfit.com here. And it just shows a level of professionalism and respect. So when in doubt, email the person and ask. Well, and that's, and I'm just to kind of speak to the photo issue. Part of the reason, um, you, you'll be getting more requests for photos than you would, um, with a recipe is because photos are, are, they fall squarely within copyright protection. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas a, and recipes are much harder to protect because for the most part, the idea is that all, there's only so many ways you can bake a cookie. There's only so many ways you can make a salad recipe, right? And so that, that's why copyright law doesn't really extend to recipes as much as a lot of people would like it to. Um, it, where it does, where there is sort of a gray area in terms of copyright protection with, is relating to recipes um, is in the directions themselves. So if you have a particular way um, or method of uh, putting the recipe, putting those ingredients together and there it's a very, you know, you know, unique way of doing it. So you're not, um, I, I'm not just talking about, you know, measure a quarter teaspoon of, you know, baking soda and then an eighth, you know, to the extent that they're very basic directions, you're going to have a harder time proving that those were yours to begin with. But to the extent that they're unique and novel and you can show that and establish that you have a stronger case to claim copyright um, protection over those um, instructions. Now, the re- the ingredients themselves are never subject to uh, copyright protection. But as far as photographs go, that's part of the reason BuzzFeed reaches out to you is mm-hmm. because photographs do fall squarely within copyright protection. So it's much easier for you to enforce your rights regarding a, a photograph than it is regarding a recipe. That makes perfect sense. And the only instances that I've really reached out to fellow bloggers, um, and like you said, it's a small community. You know, people will let you know when they see something of yours that may be borrowed inappropriately on another site. Is if if my photo was used, I've seen this several times. 
Um, and this, I don't know, this, someone must know that this wasn't okay. Um, but if my photo was used on their website for a different recipe and, yeah. they, and they claimed it as their own, you know, that's, that's definitely, um, borrowing in the bad sense. Um, so yeah. I'll reach out to them and ask them to take it down. But what, what, what would be your advice to somebody who their content was borrowed? What do you think would be, um, a really good plan of action if they, if they do discover that some of their... Um, free intellectual property that they put on their website was used inappropriately. What would you recommend to them to do next? Well, so really, I mean, it just depends on their level of comfort in dealing with confrontation, right? Because you have to let them know what's going on, the mm -hmm. person who borrowed the, the material. And a lot of times what people will say is, eh, it doesn't matter, you know, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll let them do it. It's fine. I'll just, I'll get over it. It'll be okay. But you never really know what you're losing out on when you don't address that. Um, and, and the law kind of has this, um, not hatred for, but intolerance for people who sleep on their rights, mm -hmm. for people who look at something, know something is happening to them or something, you know, you know, affecting their rights in a negative way and they do nothing to prevent it and then ask the courts for help mm -hmm. four or five years down the road. Um, that opens up a defense called latches, um, which basically says, if you sleep on your rights, why are we going to uh, reward you for your being lazy about protecting yourself? And so there is that idea there that if you do nothing, you are in essence acquiescing to the behavior. Mm -hmm. That's fascinating. Uh, You're condoning it almost. Exactly. So you're you're maybe not actively condoning it, but you're passively condoning it, especially mm -hmm. if you know about it. Yeah. And um and so I would say if it's something, if it's content and it's word for word content, you have um a, a stronger case under the DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. And it's you know it's not the best protection because it was enacted in I think it was like 1998. Um, it was a long time ago, so it's it really needs some updating. I think. But for the most part, what it allows you to do is reach out and um, to the service provider. And the service provider, the law basically says service providers can't be held liable for infringing content unless they're made aware of it and don't do anything about it. Mm. So when you send a DMCA takedown, you're basically saying, hey, we're making you aware that this content has been stolen, so it's your responsibility to make sure it gets taken down. And so that's really, really helpful and that at least gives you some way with some teeth to uh, prevent that kind of appropriating of content. But that's sort of a, I use that not as a last resort, but I use that as sort of the hammer um, as opposed to most of these people don't really know what they're doing is wrong mm -hmm. and reaching out to them and letting them know, hey, this is what happened. Here's what I'd like you to do instead of what you're doing, most people respond pretty favorably and that doesn't require a lawyer. Right. So just be proactive and reach out to the person, let them know. Don't feel like you, it's done and you have no say yeah, in the matter. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, another thing is I, that I see a lot of not just stealing uh, or not, I don't want to say stealing, not just appropriating content, mm -hmm. but also appropriating trade dress um, and trade names. So mm -hmm. trademarks, trade dress, that sort of thing. Um, your business name, somebody could come out with fit and fed. And if you don't have your trademark protected, 
yes, you can still enforce your rights under the common law, Mm -hmm. but it becomes much harder because you actually have to, there's an added level of proof that you have to set forward saying, I was the first to use this. Here's my proof that I used it before you. It just looks a lot messier than here's my registration number. You are doing something that's confusingly similar to what I'm doing that's going to make consumers unsure as to where the goods and services are coming from. And that's what trademarks are all about, preventing consumer confusion. Mm -hmm. And so if you have those Um, little added elements of protection, it makes things a lot easier. Like, for example, if you have something on Pinterest that you want taken down and they're using some of your exclusive content that has your Fed and Fit name on it and you own your trademark, you can actually submit through Pinterest's takedown webs. They have their own takedown sheets. And it makes it easier if you just reference your trademark registration number than having to write out an argument to Pinterest. They're, they're a lot, they get a lot of them. Mm-hmm. They're a lot less likely to want to read through your whole argument as to why you're right than just look at your trademark registration number and go, oh, okay, she has the rights to it. We can take this down. It's just much quicker. I love it. That's awesome. That's really good information. Now I have more ideas for how you and I can work together. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, this has been so helpful, Kristen. I hope that listeners are, I'm sure that they're getting a lot out of it, but I hope you guys feel encouraged by today's conversation um, and know that it's actually easier than you may fear um, getting some of these things set up correctly in the at the beginning. So don't be afraid to jump in. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Ask for those consults if you're a business owner or want to start something. It's it's you know, protecting yourself from the get-go can really help. I, I mean, I don't, this is just how I interpret it, but it helps me sleep better at night knowing that if things go really, really well for me and my business, I'm already protected. I've invested, yeah, I've, I've invested in, in that, um, I guess just, just feeling secure in my business. So I really appreciate you coming on the show, girl. You're absolutely, great. Absolutely. And if anybody does want a consult or wants to get in touch or email me questions, please feel free to do so. You can reach me on um, at my email address, Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, at trestlelaw.com. That's T-R-E, S is in Sam, T-L-E, and then the word law.com. Um, and like I said, 30-minute consultation, no, no charge to you. It's about determining whether we might be the right fit, but you know, I'm happy to, you know, talk to you and answer questions and kind of put your mind at ease and point you in the right direction. And that's, you know, that's kind of what I'm here for, for people. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. And I'll go ahead and link up um, to your website as well in the show notes. So people will be able to click right through from there as well. Perfect. Awesome. Wonderful. Thank you, Kristen. I appreciate you coming on the show. Of course. Thank you for having me. Bye. Of course. Bye-bye.